Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. Uh, we need your grace. We need so much. And I uh, thank you so much uh, for the work you're doing in our lives. And God, I know that there's people here who are absolutely devastated, broken, hurting, and, and, um, and we need you. And so um, I pray that you would have a special word and a special touch for each person here um, because there's just, um, we're, we're going through trials. There's been so many horrible things that happened this week in some people's lives. And God, we just, we're calling upon you. Look upon us, have mercy, and show us your compassion today. Amen. Today's sermon is going to be Mark chapter 5. Uh, verse 1 through 20 is called 1980s Action War Hero Movies and Jesus. So, you know, you know, like Commando and Rambo, Chuck Norris, those guys, you know, they would always take on the a whole army. Like I read this morning in Commando, there's 102 body count. That's how many people Arnold killed in Commando. Just epic. And, uh, oh, Chuck Norris, you know, he can kill... Um, Two rocks with one bird. Yeah, with one stone. That's pretty epic, I thought. Those are, those are always funny. <laughs> All right, think about this, this question, these two questions. Um, has God done, really done anything great for you? Has he? Okay, good. Uh, does he really care about you? Okay, those are quick answers. Well, I guess we're done. That's all we, all we really need to know. Well, I'm going to read First uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, which says, When we were still without strength, in due time or at the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Has God really done anything great for you? Yes, he has. He has allowed himself, his son, to be killed for you. He gave his life for you, and you had nothing to do with it because you weren't the good person. It wasn't because of your beauty or your good deeds that he did it. It wasn't because you deserved it. You weren't the good guy in the story. You weren't the innocent little person that needed to be saved. You were the enemy. You were the villain, the bad guy. We were filled with evil, rebellious to the core. That's who we were. And if you don't think you're the worst sinner you know, you are going to have a very hard time with grace. Let me say that one more time. If you don't think you're the worst sinner that you know, it's going to be impossible for you to understand God's grace and receive God's grace. Wow. That's not a common message that you hear. Sometimes, a, a lot of times you, you go to church, you may hear, man, you're so awesome. God's just so lucky to have you in his church but that's not the truth. Because God's love and his grace, they only flow towards undeserving, broken, sick sinners. That's why it works this way. 
God gives this free grace and forgiveness because he loves you. As a sinner, he loves you. You don't deserve it, but he loves you anyway. And you might not feel it, you might not understand it, but his love for you is more passionate than a thousand sons, more faithful than any mother with her child. And his, his mind and his heart are filled with thoughts of compassion towards you all day long. His plans for you are good and, and, he, and he wipes away all the bad. That's what his heart feels towards you. And if... And it's our pain, and um, it's our pain that we will have. It's in our pain that that we will have this outer shell of of protection cracked, so that His love can get in. We we have this shell that that we are afraid of getting hurt, and it's pain that cracks that. And in our trials, we can really see how God feels about us. In our brokenness, we become the objects of his loving care and his careful supply that will not fail us. But here's the thing. Because you are so loved by God, Satan hates you. Satan doesn't hate you because you look funny. He hates you because God loves you. He's committed to destroy everything God really cares about. And you are at the top of that list. Satan wants to destroy you. In his anger and in his hatred, Satan will plant seeds that he hopes will destroy your connection with God, your relationship with God. So even if you become a Christian and you're saved, that's when Satan really puts his attention on you and he starts planting these crazy seeds that he wants to, to just separate you from God's presence. God's plan for us is that we learn that, that we must go to him for every single need that we have. That's the whole big thing that we need to learn as Christians. You can't do it on your own. You come to God every moment for everything that you need. And Satan just wants to put, a, to put a stop to that. Because he knows if you go to God and you wait upon God, God will not leave you, God will not forsake you, and God will answer your prayers and you will have what you need. You win. But if he can separate you from God's presence, if he can get you worried or he can get you scared, or he can get you trying to figure it out on your own, Satan wins, and you are now helpless to really do what God wanted in your life. We cannot figure out solutions on our own. We can't overcome on our own. But in his presence, when we depend on Christ, we become more than conquerors by his grace and his power, which is freely given to us. So Satan will set up roadblocks on your path to God's presence. And all of those roadblocks, well, most of them, the ones we're going to look at today, are all based on fear. That's the seed that Satan is planting in your life, in your heart, in your mind. He wants you to fear. 
Several things. So one way that he'll do it is just this overwhelming sense of dread or danger. Sometimes you literally have a, a, a sense of presence of evil and the hairs on the back of your neck, you ever had that? The hairs on the back of your neck stand up and it's just like, ooh, creepy. Some, some people have this very strongly. Satan tries to just make people afraid in that way. That's one way that he does it. Another way that Satan can, that we all are, are kind of tempted by Satan is this fear of weakness. Where I cannot be weak and trust God to take care of me. Weakness, however, is not a hindrance for God. It's, it's not a problem for God, your weakness. It's actually most useful. But Satan convinces us that we are surely able to do at least a little bit. That God will eventually get tired of dealing with our total dependence on him. Satan wants us to fear being weak. So he convinces us we have to try to be strong, put on a strong face. And that keeps us from God's presence when we are trying to, I don't need help. I can do this on my own. And God said, I was there to help you. You are not meant to live life on your own. You're meant to live through me, by me. So that the enemy has a great job. He's very wily at, at tricking us into thinking weakness is something we need to be afraid of. Another one is fear of total surrender. Satan will plant this seed. It's not commitment that God is looking for. It's surrender. I like the word, it commit, you want to say you're committed to God, fine, but I like the word surrender better than I like the word committed because surrender carries with it a sense of being totally incapable of bringing the solutions myself. I surrender. Where commitment is like, I commit to give my best, right? Two different ways of, of thinking. But God says we have to surrender, which means we, we must trust in God alone. He alone can give what is needed. Satan tells us that we need to hang on to all our efforts or even our sins in, in case God lets us down. And God says, I want you to totally surrender to me. Trust me. Let go of everything except following me. Do we pick up our cross and follow him in total surrender? What does it mean, pick up my cross? That means you give up every, every thought of self-life, everything that you had dreams of or you had plans for. God says, I want you to let all of it go. You are mine. I will take care of you, but we must go to the cross. We must die, you must die to everything you hoped and dreamed. And if you do, what do you get? His life, his joy, his peace, his everything. That's why he's asking for total surrender. But Satan plants this seed that total surrender is scary. 
What are you going to do for fun? How are you going to be safe? It's not safe to go to the cross following Jesus. You're right, it's not. You're going to die. And God says, you'll find life. Satan wants to put another fear in you called fear of being a sponge. That one's weird, right? I, I say it that way because a lot of times we, um, I, we feel like I need to fight for my rights and when, when my relationships with other people. If they give it to me, I'm going to give it right back to them. Like ping pong. The boys have been playing ping pong for three days straight at Grandma's house this week. And so if you notice in ping pong, you start, you go, it just gets, that was pretty good, that sounded good. Um, it gets faster and faster. When, you, when the ball is hit to you and you hit it back, it, it picks up momentum and it's get, it gets more spin and it's going faster and faster and faster. God asks us to not play ping pong in our relationships with people, but to be a sponge, in other words, to absorb. When someone stabs you with a comment, do not give it back to them. Absorb it, forgive and love them. That's what it means by being a sponge. But Satan says, no, you need to fight for your rights. Don't just take it. Don't absorb their sins and, and, and reply with love. Satan tells us we need to stand up for ourselves always while God says, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, part of picking up your cross is talk. Not a lot. Not a lot. So Satan puts this fear in us of being a sponge. He says, if you, if you take all that stuff, you're just going to get walked all over. And God says, you can trust me with it. You can Another one is fear of rejection. Satan plants this seed and says, if you, if you come near to God, draw near to God, he will reject you because remember all the people in your life that have rejected you. Remember the boyfriends and the girlfriends and the husbands and the wives and the parents and the brothers and sisters and friends. All of them that have rejected you, God will do the same thing. But he will not. He will not reject you. He will transform you, but he will not reject you. He will change your heart and your actions and your behavior, but he will not reject you. So in these ways, Satan intends to keep us from the one thing we need most, which is the living presence of God. But we're not ignorant of his plans. We, we're going to learn today that we are set free in his presence. The enemy is defeated and we are at liberty to live with and through Jesus at every moment. That's what we're going to learn today. So let's look at our text right here in, in Mark chapter 5. Do you remember what happened just now? They were in a boat and a big storm came up and Jesus was sleeping and the disciples said, Master, do you really care about us? And Jesus said, Yeah, I do. And he calmed the storm, and, and, that's, and there's a big lesson for the disciples. The disciples learned that he had authority over every trial, and he was using trials to grow their faith. So we get here, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And this one verse is an answer 
to God's promise that he had made to them. Remember, when, he, when they first set off, he said, let us go to the other side of the sea. And the disciples all heard that, but then the big storm happened and then God tested their faith. Are you going to believe that? Well, here we see that that, that promise is answered. And remember, um, they doubted that. The storm distracted them and it was a test from God and the test found that their faith was still weak, but Jesus was still faithful even though their faith was weak. Have you ever had weak faith? Yeah, like today, like right now, I feel weak in the faith. Well, look at 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful and cannot deny himself. He is going to not abandon you, not because you deserve it, not because you're awesome or you've earned it or you really want it, but because his name is at stake. He he has promised it. So if he left you, it would be denying his own word, and he will not do that. And that's why we can have such promises or such confidence in the promises of God because it doesn't have anything to do with me, how well I perform, or anything. It is all dependent on him. He makes the promise, so he will make it happen. God knows your deepest struggles and your darkest secrets. He knows all the things you desperately don't want anyone else to know. And none of it, none of it causes him to blink or bail. Just think about that. He will never leave you or forsake you, ever. This is the love that God has for us, that he will be what we cannot be. He will supply what we cannot supply. He will take us to the other side. He will get us through even when we don't deserve it. I bet part of Jesus was like, these disciples should get drowned. They're just frustrated with them, right? But actually, no, because he's just full of love. We never deserve it. We could never earn it, but God gives it. Will we learn to trust him? That's the con- you probably hear that every week at church, but it's the, the only thing that really matters. Are we going to learn to trust him? So Jesus has invested with his disciples. We've seen he's taught them an important lesson about faith, and now he's going to focus on another man, um, a, a broken and desperate man, a man with no hope, no life, nothing at all, a slave to evil. And we're going to see Jesus doesn't just care about people who are trying their best to be good, but he cares just as much about the person who is completely a slave to sin. He cares just as much about each one, and he has just as much power in each of those situations. It says, when he came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And there's the understatement of the century. He doesn't just have one unclean spirit. He's got over 2,000 that we'll find out later. It's crazy. And this is the beginning of a battle, okay? This guy comes out not to be like, welcome to my home. He, he is coming out like, like King Kong, like, ah, I'm going to take you down, right? And the reason we have this story is to teach us how Jesus has power to defeat 
evil spirits who used to have authority over people. So it's like, you know, you can picture the guy with the microphone, let's get ready to rumble, and Jesus on one side and this guy on the other. Um, they're going to go to battle over this, this sad, weak, regretful, broken man. Um, why does it matter? If, the people who knew this man had given up on him. But God loves him, cherishes him, and so Satan hates him, even though this man has nothing to offer God. This man is completely broken. Satan hates him. Why? Because Satan will always oppose the will of God. He, he will always attack, undermine, enslave, and try to destroy Anyone who God loves. And you're like, oh, well, that's me. So yes, Satan has a plan to attack you and destroy you. Who does God love? Obviously, everyone, right? Black, white, brown, Muslim, gay, murderer, mean, angry, prideful, bitter, broken, weak. He loves them all. Why? Because God is a God of love, and he is the source of love, and he sees you not as you are, but he sees you as you could be in his love. That's how he sees you. What he's going to make out of you, that's how he sees you. He needs no beauty to imagine something beautiful. Look at the universe. It is gorgeous. I love looking at those pictures of galaxies and nebulas and stuff. They're so beautiful. And God just imagined that. And he made it. And, and so he, it's his love that he experiences when he, uh, when he looks at you, when he thinks of you. He has creative, loving thoughts of what he's going to make out of you. And he sometimes even plants those thoughts in you about this is what I think of you. This is what I could do through you. This is what I'm going to make you. You don't have to inspire it because he is the source of this amazing love. You don't have to think, what, a, what is God's love going to make me? What, is, what do I need to do to be an object of his love? You don't have to do any of that. He already loves you. He's already got the plan. All we have to do is open it Open up our hearts and receive it. Believe it. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Amen. Right? Did God bully any of you into coming to church today? or to coming, calling upon him for mercy and grace. No. He is his love that leads us towards uh, repentance, drawing near to him, staying close to him. Sometimes when God sets his love on a person and draws them, he needs to kick some demon butt. And that's the next part of the story. Who, uh, so 
continuing with our text, who had his dwelling, this guy, this crazy guy, among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So look at what we're told, what we know about this guy. He's been filled with evil for a long, long, long time. Luke tells us it's been many years, okay? His life is surrounded by death. He literally lives in the graveyard. Um, he has no friends. None. He, he hurts people all the time. Anyone he ever has a relationship with, he hurts them. So people have completely rejected him. Not only does he hurt other people, he hurts himself. He's self-destructive. He, he's untamable, it says, which means he's wild, crazy, insane. He has no rest. He, he, day and night, it says, he's never at rest, always stressed out, always freaking out. He has no comfort. He's never, you know, at peace. And he's self-destructive. You know anyone like that? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but maybe it describes you as you have been in the past or maybe even are today. It's just people get hurt because of you. And you, you're never at peace, never at rest. And truly, Satan is having his way at destroying what God intends for your life to be. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice, so he's really confused, obviously, and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Okay, that's weird if you first look at it. There's a lot of confusing things, but I want to teach you that in the background of all this is an ancient superstition that was really prevalent in that day that demons, demons were very much more out in the open during that time. And, and they would have spiritual power over another if you knew or said their exact name. So if a demon knew you well enough to say your full name, that he now owned you. You were his. You couldn't do anything to resist him. That's what they believed. They really truly believed that. And that's why unclean spirits addressed Jesus with his full title, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And according, um, so, so this was basically like saying, the demons were coming up to Jesus saying, what are you going to do? We own this guy and we own you. You can't do anything. You're just a man. So the story, what we're going to learn here, is going to make two points for us. The first point is that people in Jesus' day really believed demons had power over people. Spiritual power. They could do what they wanted. And if they said your name, you belonged to them. But Jesus lets this demon say his name, and he's still going to kick his butt. He's going to demonstrate absolute power over him. And so the story is going to change the way people, all the people who heard it, it changes the way they're going to think about spiritual warfare and spiritual authority. That's what the story is about. 
So what is the truth about spiritual warfare? Satan had the right to live in and ruin people. That, that was the reality that they lived in in that day. He had tricked us into giving him that authority, and now he is exercising that authority for one purpose, to ruin people because he hates people, because he hates God, because God loves people, he hates them. Does that make sense? Yeah. He wants to fill them with evil and reproduce, reproduce his own terror inside them. Satan knows he's going to be destroyed, and he wants to fill you with the same dread he feels. That's why we, we've sometimes felt that dread. So we see Jesus is going to show this evil what he thinks about him messing with this man that he loves. Colossians 2.15 is a very important verse for us to just look at real quick. It says, Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross, in it. So basically, when Jesus died on the cross, he took away all the power or all the guns from Satan. Or if you picture Satan as a lion, Jesus took his teeth out. So now, Satan, all he can do is roar and try to gum you, which is not scary at all. Satan has no power anymore. But in this day of this story, Satan still was like, hey, bring it on. I have this authority. I have these weapons. I have." And Jesus is saying, never again. Nope. I am going to take it away from you. I am going to destroy your power that you have over people. Look at what it says. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. So these demons were probably trying to intimidate Jesus, saying, There's a whole lot of us here. What are you going to do? Like, there's a lot of us. You should be afraid of us. You're a man. We have authority over men. Bring it. But Jesus stands there and shows them that he is the one that they should be afraid of. And so then they change their tune and they say, do not torment me. Look at that. The demons considered it torment to be put out of this man's body. Demons are, want to inhabit human bodies for the same reason that a vandal wants a spray can or a violent man wants a gun. Because the human body is a weapon that demons can use in attacking God. They don't care about the, the damage they do to other people or in your life. When they destroy a person's life, they look at God and laugh. They say, you loved him, but look what we did to him. And so demons also attack uh, men because they hate the image of God and so they attack that image by debasing man and making man grotesque. They want to pervert what a man is. So it says, Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000 in the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, 
and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the, the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And, they saw, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Okay, here's what Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. Satan would rather vex swine than do no mischief at all. He's so fond of evil that he would work it upon animals if he cannot work it upon men. Well, I thought that was interesting. And look, these people are more afraid of a man being fixed and healed than they were about him being broken. Isn't that weird? And all of this shows that Jesus loves broken people and will fight for each and every one. And, and so why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? Because he wanted everyone to see what the true intention of these, demon, of, of these demons was. That they wanted to destroy the man, but they couldn't just kill him. And so, but they did destroy the pigs. Um, the destructive nature of, of demons is shown by what they did to these, these pigs. Um, they're just like their leader. These demons are just like their leader, Satan, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all they want to do. That's their intention. And so what happens is they began to plead with him to depart from their region, and he got into a boat. Why would all these people want Jesus to leave? Well, let's ask another question. Why was there pigs in Israel and people taking care of them? Are they allowed to eat pigs? No. No. So why do you have a herd of 2,000 people and Jews taking care of them? They were already like, they were living sinful lives and they didn't care. And they didn't care about being right with God. And that's why the people were the ones who rejected Jesus, where the messed up guy was the one who accepted him. The guy that was filled with the demons, possessed. He was the guy, the guy who was broken and weak and needed Jesus most. He was the one who said, yeah, Jesus, I accept you. The people who all thought, ah, we're Jews, we can just have a little bit of bacon, it's okay. God, they wanted nothing to do with God. They didn't realize how much they needed Jesus, or else they wouldn't have asked him to leave, right? So he got into a boat, and then he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that region of ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. This guy didn't even need Bible college. He was so weak and so messed up Jesus put his power on him, his love on him, and he was ready to go serve the Lord with a full, complete, restored heart. He didn't even need it. Jesus said, you're ready. Go tell everybody what, Jesus, what, what the Lord has done for you. And look, it says, and then uh, he went and began to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him, right? Which means the Lord is Jesus. And that's very important to see that the Bible calls Jesus the Lord or God. Um, 
And, and notice his name, what, what his title is now. Because we don't get his name. His, I don't know if it's Joe or whatever. But he's known as the one who had been demon-possessed. Him who had been demon-possessed. So that's now his name. And as long as he lived, it would be linked and it would be a standing sermon wherever. Who, who's teaching at church today? Oh, the one who was demon-possessed. That crazy guy. You're going to be amazed when you hear him talk about how much God loved him and how much God did for him. What a story for a man to tell, right? So, um, so what, we, what are we learning today? We're learning that we are no match for the enemy by ourselves. Um, and that's why Jesus went to war for us. So it's like Jesus versus these thousands of, of demons. And just like it would be like commando against all the bad guys. And, and Jesus takes the power and the authority of evil and he nails it to the cross. And so we're going to read this text in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So the reason Satan cannot make us afraid and fill us with such terror anymore is because of what Jesus has done. And the reason he was able to make us so afraid is because we gave him that right when we joined with him in rebelling against God. And that rebellion deserved death. And so Jesus died on the cross and we, deserve, we, we get to join him in that death. That's why we're set free. Because Jesus loved you, he destroys that power. Now the enemy has no power over you. When you trust in Jesus, you are free from any of the enemy's authority. They have no authority in your life. He cannot make you fear. He cannot force you to sin. He cannot stay in your life. But he will try. Won't he? How many of you have been afraid of something this week? I probably have. I'm sure I have. I have. And, and Satan, he is going to keep trying to get in your life, even though he has no authority to do so. So what do we do? In those moments, we must enter the battle in the spiritual world. Men are the only creatures in this entire universe that were created both physical and spiritual we have one hand in the physical world with our eyes and our, our brains and our bodies, and we have one part of us in the spiritual world that we cannot see, but there's good and there's evil. And we need to enter into that world and we need to remind Satan that his power is broken. He's trying to get in you. It's not, I know you don't want to get in the fight because you don't like confrontation, just like me. I don't want to fight with a demon, okay? But here's the thing, it's not a fight. All we need to do is remind him that his power is broken. So you can speak the promises of God and the works and deeds of Jesus out loud or even in your heart. 
and the spiritual world hears it. This is crazy, but it's absolutely true and it, it matters. When you are afraid, did that come from you? No, that was planted there by Satan. All those fears we talked about at the beginning, Satan did that. And you don't have to be afraid. All that's required is that you believe what Jesus has done. Do you believe Jesus has broken the power of the enemy? Yes. Then there is no reason to be afraid, ever, about anything, especially giving your life and loving people and and serving the Lord. So the spiritual world hears. When you remind Satan, I will not fear because Jesus has broken your power in my life. He is in complete control and he loves me. What do you think the spiritual world does when they hear that? God is like, yes! And, and Satan flees. He hates it. You know, you can, you can repeat scripture, believing it, and the spiritual world knows. But the spiritual world knows whether you believe it or not. That's the thing. Is like There's not magic incantations and things that you can repeat just words. Because the spiritual world knows whether you believe it or whether you don't. So you can't just say, Jesus loves me, I'm a robot. Like, that doesn't work. Or there's not, you can't say the Mary prayer, the Catholics say, and think that Satan's like, yeah, he doesn't care. No, this not magic words. It's faith that influences the spiritual world. Are you going to believe and trust in the word of God? So you might read a scripture like this, Luke 10, where he says, I saw Satan fall from lightning, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You think Satan likes to hear that? Yeah, but do you believe it? You can say it, but do you believe it? Jesus has demonstrated this is the truth. Then we have him nailed to the cross, showing us that it's the truth. We have the receipt of the Holy Spirit telling us it's true. But are we going to trust him? We could say Ephesians 6.10, you're feeling afraid. You say, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Yeah, you can say that. You can believe it. How about James 4, 7? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're feeling afraid? No. I'm going to submit to God, and the devil will flee. Zechariah 3, 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. God loves shutting down Satan. And he wants you to partake in that job. He wants you to shut him down. So when Satan comes and says, I want you to be afraid, you should be afraid, worry about this, stress out about this, and and all of it depends on you, shut him down. Proclaim the promises of God, either out loud or in your heart. The spiritual world hears it like a tornado. It's amazing. 
Just say, I will not fear. I'm not going to fear. Not because I'm so great and I have such aim, even from the hip. It's not, that's not why I'm not going to be afraid. I, because of his promises is why I'm not. Like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How can you read that and not believe it? Well, you can. You can read it and not believe it, but I'm going to believe it. So we don't have to fear. That's the point of today's sermon. Did you get it? Don't have to be afraid. All right, Jesus kicks butt. Ready? Okay, we're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to take communion where we connect with him and remember his sacrifice and love for us and the new life that he's given. And as we're we're drawing near to him, um, number one, confess any sins. Just get them out. He will forgive everything that's confessed. Confess it all. Don't have anything there that the enemy can grab onto. Because if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, the enemy can just hold on. And, he, and it's not that he actually has any power. It's just you think he does. You feel his power because it's unconfessed. And you don't have it washed away by that blood of Jesus. So just confess it. Let his blood cleanse you. Any sin. Number two, if there's been any fear that Satan has planted and has gotten in your life, Remind Satan that that's not from God. That's, you know where it's from now, and you're not going to submit to his control in your life, but you're going to submit to God's control in your life. And God's control is because he loves you.